And for our time together, we will be spending some time looking at 1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 9. 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9. And just before, while you're looking for that passage, I want to mention that Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians. And he wrote this letter for a reason. But the Corinthian church, as, as you may know or have learned, was a deeply flawed church. But Paul loved them dearly. And so he wrote this letter. And here's how he begins this letter. And we're only going to consider how he began the letter today. He's going to begin it with a prayer. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you, because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul had not been in Corinth for about three years. And then he received some messages. Some people from the household of Chloe we read about in 1 Corinthians 1.11 came and talked to Paul about the church in Corinth. And then he received a letter with some questions, as we read in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. And Paul learned that there were a number of problems in this Corinthian church. And he had worked so hard and had left to go to Ephesus about three years prior. And without going in details, the types of issues or problems were in these areas. There were conflicts in the church between individuals and between groups. He addresses five different types of conflicts and issues between people in the church. And a second area of issue that was in the Corinthian church was compromise with non-Christian hedonistic values of the Greco-Roman culture. There were a lot of things going on in that culture and they had questions about what to do. There were seven different themes that Paul addresses that are related to cultural issues at that time. And so this Corinthian church, there were, and if you read the rest of Corinthians, there are 12 different issues that Paul addresses. And so Paul says, I have to write a letter. I can't go there. And so how is he going to begin this letter? What was on Paul's heart as he considered what he was going to say in this letter? 
And I would say the first thing that Paul had in his heart, because he's going to write a letter of instruction. He's going to write a letter of correction. But what is really in his heart? In his heart, he has God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And just take a look at your Bible. You'll see in verse 1 that he was called by the will of God. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ. In verse 2, he's talking about the church of God that was sanctified in Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, hear these words, the words of God. In verse 3, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 4, he gives thanks to my God. He talks about the grace of God. He talks about being in Jesus Christ. In verse 5, he talks about Jesus. He talks about our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 7. And in 8, he says about the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful in verse 9. Paul's heart is set on God. Paul's heart is on the Lord Jesus Christ. And his prayer of thanksgiving is directed towards God. It's about God. It's about what God has done in the Corinthian church. Paul is directing this troubled Corinthian church to God. Why? Why is Paul writing so much about God? He is writing in such a way to show the Corinthians that all of these issues that he's going to address in this letter are solved through a relationship with God, through their relationship with Jesus Christ. But not only is God on Paul's heart, he has on his heart something else. He has on his heart the church in Corinth. And so we read in verse 2, to the church in Corinth, to those sanctified, those called to be saints. Verse 3, grace to you. Verse 4, thanks always for you. Grace was given to you. Verse 5, you were enriched. Verse 6, the testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. He's saying that to the Corinthians. Verse 7, you are not lacking. You wait for Christ. In verse 8, God will sustain you. You were called in verse 9. His heart is for the Corinthians. He is thinking about them. He is preparing them for the letter that is going to come after it. And it's obvious that Paul was not going to give up on these Corinthians. He's saying, you have 12 different issues that I'm going to write to you about. You are way out of line in certain areas. But Paul says, no, we need to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to you. You are in Christ. And so he is looking and thinking that if God saved the people in Corinth, even though they are flawed, they are blemished, God, through his spirit, is going to continue to change and to sanctify them. Dear Christian, anyone who is listening, perhaps you have some conflicts with other Christians or with groups of Christians. Perhaps you are struggling with our society. You are wondering how to live in a Christian in our American society. We say, you're as American as apple pie. 
What's American? You wear blue jeans. You play sports. You listen to sports. You like cars. You like music. All kinds of things make us American. And so you, as you think about our American culture, is it okay for me after work to go to the local bar and talk sports with the guys at the bar stool? Those are the kinds of questions that we have as Christians. How far do we get involved in our American culture without compromising our Christian perspective? How do we live as a Christian in our world? And I, like Paul, want to point you to God, the one who, his, through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has saved you into eternal life. I can't answer every question for you. You need to search the scriptures. You need to think about what it means to live in our society today as a Christian, but also as an American, someone who's participating in our society. And you could read yourself into this prayer. Let me just give you a sample. Paul writes, I give thanks, and perhaps I was praying in the front of church, and I would say, I give thanks to my God always for the members of the Reformed Baptist Church because of the grace of God that was given to you, people attending the Reformed Baptist Church, in Christ Jesus, that in every way you are enriched in him, in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ is confirmed among you. This prayer of Paul is not just to the Corinthians. It is for us. And we need to read this prayer as something that we can use an example for how to pray for others and how to pray for our church and how to pray for our Christian community. It reminds us of what God has done for us. It reminds us is that we need to remember that God is for you. And so what was Paul thankful for? Let me ask you a question. If you are a Christian today and you are doing your normal work, and someone takes a look at you, and they're having a conversation with you, and they might say to you, you know, there seems like there's something more in you than I can explain, than I can put a finger on. And you have not presented yourself as a Christian. You are not trying to witness to every single person that you stop by. And you could reply, there is. The Lord Jesus Christ is in me. And just as these Corinthians, with all their problems, and I know that you, if you are in the workplace, if you live with other people, they point out your flaws from time to time, don't they? They tell you, you need to do better with this, or you just don't know how to do this. You're just not equipped to do certain things. But you're still a Christian, aren't you? And so your Christianity should be starting to show in how you live, 
your life. And so Paul writes the Corinthians is that they are in Christ and that they are greatly, greatly blessed. We read in verse 2, they were sanctified in Christ Jesus. We read in verse 4 that the grace of God was given them in Christ Jesus. They were in Christ Jesus. And the Corinthians were in Christ Jesus. And Paul was thankful that they were in Christ Jesus. They were greatly blessed. And then Paul, for this group that seemed like there were issues, says, you have been made rich by God. And we read in verse 5 that you were enriched in him. They were enriched in God. And how were they enriched? We read that they were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. They had a thorough understanding of the gospel. They had a thorough knowledge of things. Paul had spent some time in Corinth. They learned a lot. They knew a lot. They were enriched in speech. The Corinthians were given some extraordinary gifts of the Spirit. We read in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians an entire section that Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And he's talking about how they had been given gifts. And he has to give them instructions about these gifts. We read in verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And then he talks about there are varieties of gifts. And then he talks about in this section of chapter 12, that God empowers gifts in everyone. And then he lists some of the gifts that were given to the Corinthians. They had utterance of wisdom. They had knowledge. They had faith. They had a gift of healing. We don't know exactly how that worked. Some had gifts of miracles. Some had gifts of prophecy. Some had gifts of tongues. God had given gifts to the Corinthians. And you're thinking to yourself, Corinthians, you have 12 issues that Paul is going to deal with. And yet God gave you some wonderful, wonderful gifts. This Corinthian church was no ordinary church, but it had wonderful, wonderful gifts, some of which we don't even have today. They were endowed with gifts, and they were obviously gifted in speech. Paul talks about several kinds of speech. They had wisdom, they had knowledge, they had prophecy, they had tongues. Wonderful, wonderful gifts. They were ready to speak. They knew the gospel. They were wise. And wherever the gospel is embraced, God will give spiritual gifts. Even in our church, we have 
a number of gifted people. And we're not just thinking about gifts of standing up here and talking to you, that is a gift, but there are many different kinds of gifts that are given to the church, gifts of administration, gifts of doing, of service. We have to remember that each gift that is given is a gift of God. And we have to remember that even the youngest people in our church have gifts. And everyone has been given a gift of grace if they are in the Lord Jesus Christ. It establishes a relationship with Christ so that you desire to worship together with believers. And everyone has been given the gift of peace, that is, peace with God. And Paul began this letter, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a gift of peace with God. And when you think about it, no gift is considered better than other gifts. If you are gifted in service, you are gifted because you have grace. You are gifted in that you are faithful in coming every Sunday. You are gifted in your acts of service that people don't even know about. Your gift is not superior to other gifts. My gifts are not superior to your gifts. I'm just trying to use whatever gifts God has given me to his glory. And lastly, when we think about gifts, no person should feel superior that they have better gifts than other people. Everyone has a gift, and you are to use whatever God has given to you. In a church like ours, and every church in the world, so to speak, individual gifts are needed. They're desired. They should be encouraged. We want you to use your giftedness to the glory of God. And so encourage one another in, in your giftedness. The Corinthians, they were using their gifts. Some of them Paul had to talk to them about that they weren't using them very wisely. They didn't have the right attitude about using their gifts, but they did have gifts. But there is one other thing that I want to mention today. The Corinthians were waiting. Paul says they were waiting. We read in verse 7, uh, you're not lacking in any gift. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord. And so what were they waiting for? They were waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to come back. The people in Corinth did not know the Lord Jesus Christ in person. They had never seen him. They had just heard about him. But then they heard that the Lord Jesus Christ was going to come back. And they were going to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what they were waiting. They were waiting for him to be revealed. They were waiting for the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a common theme in the New Testament. 
There are many passages that talk about the Lord Jesus Christ coming back. We read in Paul's letter to Titus, in Titus 2.13, we are waiting for our blessed hope. And then, what is that blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This was a theme of what Paul liked to preach about, that Jesus Christ was returning. But it's not just Paul. Peter, when he wrote his letter to the Christians in 2 Peter 3, verse 11, says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, he's talking about how earth is going to pass away. He says, since everything's going to be dissolved, what an interesting idea. When you dissolve sugar into water or salt into water, it kind of disappears. He's saying, what? sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Peter anticipated that the coming of Jesus was happening. And then he said, just think about it. How are you going to live? You're just going to sit in your chair and wait? No, you're going to live in holiness. You're going to live in godliness. You're going to continue living until you get there, until it happens. Even John, when he wrote his letter, 1 John 3, he says in verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now. You are God's children now. Corinthians, you are God's children now. People of Lafayette, you are God's children now. I can talk to every Christian. You are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. We're going to be something else. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We will see Jesus Christ as he is. No one here has seen Jesus Christ. I've seen a picture of him which I know is not a good picture of Jesus Christ. No one knows what he looks like. Those pictures are all fake. They're just artist concepts of what Jesus might have looked like. But we will see Jesus Christ. We'll say, well, yes, I will see Jesus Christ. I don't know if I will see Jesus Christ when I'm living here on earth or I'm going to see Jesus Christ the moment I die. But I will see Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is talking to the Corinthians about. He said, you are living like you think that Jesus Christ is going to appear. And that's the right thing to do. He isn't complaining about them living in that way. Paul is confident that God will be faithful to the Corinthians to the end. And when we read in Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, part of our passage, God will sustain you to the end, Paul says, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even though you have these 12 issues, you are going to be guiltless before our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ 
our Lord. Paul is confident that this unruly church was going to be there and meet the Lord Jesus Christ. God was going to be faithful to them. This prayer is for you. We can pray these words for us. We can thank God for you. We can thank God that we are safe in grace, that you are in Christ. We thank God that he has enriched us with gifts. We know that if you are saved, you have gifts. You are greatly loved by our Lord Jesus Christ. And we wait for Jesus' return. We're confident that the Spirit is going to work in us. If we have 12 issues, maybe by the time we die, we will only have six. God will have worked in us. We expect God will work in us. Are you confident that God is going to be faithful to you? Verse 9 says, we are called to have fellowship with Jesus. Do you fellowship with Jesus? How do you fellowship with Jesus? Well, by participating in worship, by reading the scriptures, by talking to him in your prayers, just as Paul was speaking here. We read in Colossians 3 verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, who is your life, is Christ your life? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If you are in Christ here, you're going to be with Christ in glory. Are we like those flawed Corinthians? Yes, we're all flawed in some way. But are we known that we are living in expectation of eternity? Are you living in Christ? Are you living in expectation that God will be faithful to you? Paul certainly was. There is no thought on Paul's part that these Corinthians were not Christians. And he's saying, even though you are an unruly church, Christ is appearing in you. They have glimpses of being in Christ. And so that's where we are today. And we can give a prayer of thanksgiving, just as Paul thanked God for this Corinthian church.